So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I think this is one of the most cheery weeks of rugby I can remember in a long time. So without further ado, let's get going. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. Um, this week we're going to talk to you about our last gasp victory over Exeter, the first time we ever won at Sandy Park. Falcons players bookending a wonderful England result. We'll look forward to the Premiership Cup and talk about the format of that competition. Um, have a chat about the general internationals and some of the other Falcons appearances in those matches. And finally, we'll do a roundup of the scores locally and nationally. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you simply type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our smiling faces. And it's the same picture again. And it's the same name, at Folk on Falcons on Twitter. Thank you. So um, fantastic weekend. Let's start with the Falcons match. Started off well. And then, as always, nothing much to show for it at the end of the first half. And we went in with the scores even. And he thought when we went behind and then we got the try back, we had a chance. And then he thought we'd blown it when Hodgson missed that kick from in front of the post with about 10, 15 minutes to go. But um, then Colin comes on and slots a much trickier one from a bit further out. So we made a hard task of it at the end as well with kicking penalties to touch when I'd have tapped and set up and then kicked it out. But um, I think we can be very pleased with what, is the first ever victory at Sandy Park in both the amateur and professional eras of the club. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose like all these times when, you know, the underdog triumphs, you know, you kind of look at, you look at the opposition because Exeter weren't obviously at their best and they haven't been all season. It's been, just haven't got going really at all this season. But at the same time, you know, you got to look at us. We really did everything well that we have done well this season. We defended really well. We were organised really well. Our set piece was, was really good. Um, I thought certainly in the first half, there were times when ball in hand in the attack, we, we looked a bit better, a bit more adventurous. Possibly that was because of the switch with Stevenson on the wing and uh, with OKFOK OK, OK going back into the centres. And Lukok had a stormer as well. He was really good. And I think combination of that obviously saw us over the line in the end. And I thought watching the match highlights, um, people criticise, or not so much criticise, but point out that, you know, Falcons aren't on TV that much. And I suppose if you are the neutral, you may notice that our games are very bitty. And I think in some ways that can be a credit to us because we do sort of snaffle out teams. We do make it very difficult for, for teams to play against us, no matter how good they are. We've shown that with Saracens, Harlequins and Exeter so far this season. So we were brilliant in sort of stopping them for the vast majority of the game. And for large parts of that, we were dominant and really we deserved the win. Yeah, um, I think for about 30, 35 minutes of the first half, we were much the better team but as is often the case we only had the one try to show for it and then um, we were doing some quite nice set piece plays I felt um, looks like we've certainly been training on a few things there's a couple of times we set up in slightly unusual ways behind scrums or did a couple of clever line outs but then I think we got a bit too cocky at one point and um, then the first half we were between the 10 meter line and halfway and just inside our own half and McGuigan did one of these 25-30 yard line out throws over the top and they come off quite a lot in defensive plays when you've only got five metres to run up. But it was quite a risky move. We lost the ball. And then the next thing we know, Exeter are down levelling it as we go into the break. And it's just one of these things where you just grab your hair and pull it out. <coughs> Why on earth did anyone decide that was a good idea? Just um, so as game management seems to get lost a bit. We've talked about how uh, the we, we show really what we've done well this season in terms of an organisation defence. But again we sort of showed there what's been negative and that is game management and not taking our chances. We had that period around 30, 35 minutes, didn't we? Where we had penalty after penalty and just, you know, just fizzled out in many ways, just kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, and then you say, you just give Exeter a sniff and 
you know, they do what generally they, they do well and be very efficient in clinical. And, you know, they went in half time, seven all, and it was a bit of a hammer blow, really. But, you know, I don't think it kind of, our heads didn't go down. It was by no means a repeat of last season or plenty of other seasons would be down there. And even the, when Exeter actually gone ahead, you know, we were still well in it and we looked like well, we could score if we could kind of get things going. They took their try to start the second half and we should have taken a load of opportunities at the start. The first, they got into our five-meter line, they was clinical and dotted the ball down eventually. And it made you start wondering, especially when they brought on Sam Simmons from the bench, but they can bring on their international number eight. We can bring on ours. So Callum Chick came on. I think he was just as good as Simmons was on the park. And um, then we, we ended up with Noel going in the sin bin. I think we... I can see why a penalty try wasn't given, but I've seen them given as well for that sort of slap down, vague intercept, or not really an intercept. That's the excuse sort of knock on. And we had a three-man overlap and the video ref who wasn't terribly pleased with throughout the game said, oh, those covering defenders, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, Noel goes to the and we get the penalty, kick it to the corner. And um, what we've done quite a lot of times this year is a clever little line that we off the top where it ends up going to McGuigan running around the corner. And McGregor ran in the corner and he sold a dummy to everyone, including the cameraman, and popped it to Schroeder, who stuck Stevenson in the corner down the wing where Noel would have been. It was an incredibly clever play, and there was a big gap there, and it's bolstered up without Noel getting a finger on him. It was very nice to see. Um, unfortunately, the conversion went wide, so it had left the kick for Conn at the end. But yeah, it was good. And as you mentioned earlier, I think um, Stevenson, although there's a lot of talk about him perhaps being a centre as opposed to a winger, I think that. The combination with him on the wing and with Cocky Cocky in the centres worked very well. And I think it probably worked better than it would have if they just swapped positions with him being in centre and Cocky Cocky on the wing. So I was quite pleased to see that. And I think that both of them had an extremely good performance for the full 80 minutes. Well, I mean, if we talk about sort of individual performances, I mean, again, forwards are really good. I've, I've names off the top of my head. I thought McGuigan, obviously, a really good try. Usual consistent self. Vanderbilt, again, another brilliant performance, goes under the radar a bit. And Montgomery, worth a mention, brilliant performance. I think, believe it's his first premiership start. I mean, what a place to make your, make your start. Uh, but he didn't look out of place. Um, and the subs, I thought, actually, when they came on, you know, Conan, Nordi Clemente, all were, were really good when, when they came on. I think they really kind of added to it. And of course, Conan's kick at the end. Um, and maybe that was called, sort of the extra sort of impetus, which they kind of see us over in the end. But uh, personally, I mean, I think pretty much all of them, but I think if we're going to name individuals, I thought particularly they were good. Brown as well, actually, before I forget. Brown, Brown probably had his best performance for us, I think, so far. Yes, um, I thought someone else that deserved to mention was um, Joel Hodgson. I think um, performance he presented at the weekend was one that's been better than I've seen him in a couple of years. Um, he came on at Gloucester the other week when I was there, and I thought he certainly added a bit of a spark to it. And he brought that from the start. I thought he played very well throughout. And his uh, missed penalty aside, I think that's um, as good as I've seen him for quite a while. It seems strange that the... The Royal Grammar School boys of him and Welch this year seem to have just been reinvigorated from somewhere. I don't know what's going on, but certainly got, not going to complain about it. Yeah, I mean, it, I was actually thinking about this before. I mean, we were talking about the start of the season. Is fly half going to be a really sort of troublesome position for us? But actually, as it's turned out this season, it hasn't really been the case. I think Conan generally has done well. Hodgson, as you mentioned there, has done well. But when he's, when he's had to slot in, as and when injuries permit, 
Um, I don't think, you know, if you look at some of the more disappointing aspects of the season, I mean, the defeats, you can't really sort of say, oh, well, you know, it's down to us not having another fly half or, or, the, or the goal kicking or the place kicking or anything. So, you know, credit to them. We did say we would have, we would like them to be more consistent this season to perhaps step up. And so far, I mean, we're third of the season gone, I guess, so that they have so far. Yeah, I think um, when you talk about players that need a mention, I think Mr. Earl needs a mention for nicely taking out the referee. It's one of these referees where he kind of he runs in a line parallel to the gain line, kind of in line with the ruck. So if the ruck was centred on the halfway line, he would just run along the halfway line in the direction the ball gets passed, which I kind of see the reason for referees doing that. But you get other referees that run behind the uh, play, um, or some of them run on the diagonal line. But what it means is that there's a few times actually in the game he got very close to the action. And one time he got a bit far too close and Earl on the inside pass just clattered straight into him because... Um, he caught up with the ball. And, uh, you could hear this almighty <laughs> sort of sound on the referee mic, and he got up and actually laughed about it. But and we got a scrum that I think we uh, ended up winning ourselves. But um, yeah, well, always good to see the referee getting wiped out. Yeah, I mean, credit to him, he did get up pretty quickly and brush it off. You know, I mean, not many people, I suppose, could have got up that quickly after being clattered by a big chap like Earl. But you know, fair enough. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it didn't affect his performance too much, maybe. For the rest of the half, he still managed to give the odd funny decisions here and there. So at least he was consistent. I think that if you mentioned the referee, and I think throughout this game, what's been very different to some other ones has been our discipline was much, much better. Whether it's the referee's interpretation of the laws aligned with Dean Richards's, I don't know. Or whether it's just the fact that we booked up our ideas and didn't break the rules so much. But I certainly feel like Exeter were on the wrong side of him, if anything. And... Um, we, we got a couple of decisions where I was a bit surprised by it, but I'm not going to complain. And it was just things like when we started winning scrums against the head and stuff like that, you just think, I don't know, we're doing well here against Exeter Chiefs, the alleged best side in the league for the last couple of years. Well, it's interesting post-match comments. I can't remember if it was from Richards or McGuigan, actually, mentioned that in the build-up, they targeted the breakdown as an area they thought they could get a lot of joy in, whether it's turnovers or, or milking some penalties. Uh, I guess in some ways that, that kind of happened because... A lot of the times when Exeter were near our camp, near our line, and you know they put a few phases together, I think there were a good two or three times that we did have some really good turnovers and we were causing all sorts of trouble at the breakdown. I mean, if you think about their two tries, one was simply just, you know, it was we got eventually had to give, you know, the defence got sucked in, they just passed out a couple of phases and the space was there, you know, so be it. Another one is just, you know, what they do best, which is just rumble over. But generally, we kind of snuffed them out. And I think maybe that was building on what they said they, they did in their, well, in the build-up to the match in terms of really targeting uh, the breakdown because they thought they could get a lot of joy there. And it turns out they did. So I guess credit to, uh, to all the coaching staff for that one. Yeah, um, it was one of these ones where you'd think at the start of the season, oh, fantastic, we're playing Exeter at the time of the internationals. That's good. But when you actually look at it, we were missing four of our regular first-teamers who were starting internationals. We then had Chick, who ended up on the bench. And Davidson's one of these kind of players in limbo where he's not in the England starting squad, but he's not been released back to the club. And I'm wondering, um, with uh, Palfman picking up his injury in the first 15, 20 minutes and going off, I think it could be unlikely he's playing next weekend. But I guess it's the Premiership Cup that doesn't matter so much. But do we have, or who would be our next choice prop in that position? Um, I mean, you've got Cooper there, haven't you? But I mean, they, they tend to sort of just have him as a, Sub who comes on. I don't know because it, in terms of Mule Pole, it seems to be this season that they, he, he, even though, of course, he's good enough to be a starter, but 
he doesn't seem to, I think maybe age is catching up with him, unfortunately, and they sort of bring him on in, in the second half more, don't they? I mean, who have we got there, I suppose? We've got oh. uh, Tampin Basham can maybe start some of these games. Um, Brockle Bankman, I don't know if he's available. I think you've also got to think about the, the tight head, loose head preference as well, but um, it's one of these ones where I don't think it's necessarily going to happen like it happened against Ender in the Heideken Cup a couple of years ago, but with the internationals and Trevor performing so well in the league and then getting called up and then a couple of injuries. If we're not careful, it could be an area we just need to watch out for. But at the minute, I think we're, we're just about OK there. At the very end of the game, once again, I was pulling my hair out very similar to the first half. And 10 seconds left on the clock, we get a penalty and we think, oh, fantastic, we've won the game. And then we kick it for a line out, which we then lose. And why didn't we just tap it? set up a phase and kick it out from the rook. It's, it's our bread and butter. For the last three or four seasons, we've been able to wind down hours and hours of rugby by tapping and going and picking and going. And then for some reason, once again, the game management just wasn't there to do one, possibly two, but probably only the one phase and hoof it off the park. It was just one of these ones where you think, what on earth is going on here? Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, the, the thinking, I suppose, could be, well, if we win the line out, you know, we're the line up, we set it up and then just, you know, keep it, keep it under the jumper for, for a few seconds and then that's it. You know, it's more secure in that regard, I suppose, than the, the tap where, you know, they could turn over or you know, knock it on or something. But at the same time, you've got to win the line out. Um, and I think in that op- in that circumstance, surely just a tap. I mean, it's not even like you need to make much ground. You just have to secure it a couple of phases, which I'm sure they, they, they would have been capable of doing and that would have been it. But... I guess you sort of have to hope that they sort of learn from these things, but you know, it does seem to happen worryingly quite often in these sort of situations. But yeah, I mean, that, that's some of the enigmas of professional rugby, isn't it? Sometimes you see these decisions where you're trying to sit on the sofa, you think, what the hell are you doing? Uh, and then for some, obviously on the pitch at the time, they sort of have, have it dead certain that's the right thing to do. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll see. Unfortunately, many more of these sort of type of decisions to come. But it is not one. They should have tapped it, but thankfully, we didn't pay any price for it. So, few. Yeah, on the what the hell are you doing uh, angle? There's a couple of times I thought of that with the video ref this weekend. I don't know whether they've got the, the third or fourth rate ones in because the best ones are often the international duty and all the rest of it. But um, there was a few decisions throughout the whole game which I just thought, what on earth is he on about? The first one, um, or oh, just in general, he kept trying to do the referee's job for him. He kept saying really innocuous things during open play and don't really see the value of it. There was a one where he said it was a 50-22 when the ball went into touch outside the 22 and the referee was kind of like, uh, what are you on about? Shut up. And then there's what I thought was quite a clear high tackle, which wasn't given. I think it was an Earl, perhaps, and... No, no reference to it at all. And then there's the penalty tries we've already talked about. And then at the very end, when after that lineup we've just mentioned, Cocky Cocky closed down. I think it might have been Simmons did one of these arms race tackles where he swings his arm through and he um, cleared out the ball from being passed. And the referee gave a penalty for a deliberate knock on. And then went to the video ref, and the video ref said, "Oh, well, was it a yellow card or not?" Like the same way Knowles was. And then when you look at the replay three or four times, it's quite clear the ball didn't actually go forwards. So it went sideways or backwards. I it wasn't a, a knock-on. And why didn't he just say to the referee, you got it wrong there? Well, yeah, I mean, the correct decision would have been just as, a, well, I suppose a scrum and possibly to, 
I mean, I guess to Exeter, but I mean, it's definitely, I mean, the, the, what seemed to have happened was he'd given the penalty to Exeter and, and because he'd given the penalty, he didn't want to not give the penalties, but surely if it, if it wasn't deemed a deliberate knock-on, then it's not, therefore, not a, a yellow card, which is what, what the decision was, was in the end. And surely, therefore, it cannot be a penalty because no deliberate foul play had taken place. Therefore, it should be a scrum, not a penalty. But so why they just did this incorrect halfway house is absolutely bizarre. Um, and it's a, it's a real big error, actually, because, yes, we got away with it, but then that, that could have cost us. I mean, luckily, they didn't they didn't decide to try and hoof it from 55 metres, but if they had and got it, obviously, they would have won, and we would have been absolutely incredulous because it would have been a, a terrible refereeing decision. Um, and you know, we talk about sometimes the quality of referees, and you mentioned, you know, who's available, what we called internationals affected but something like that is pretty bad and when you have a team of officials as well surely someone somewhere has got to say no this is wrong this is a correct decision otherwise what, what's the point really but I mean thankfully as you know I've said we've got away with it but you know can you imagine how furious we would have been if if that had lost us it yeah I was just listening to the, the radio commentary at that point and then when I watched the tv commentary I realized just where it was it would have been sod's law had young Josh Hodge stepped up and hoofed one over from 53, 54 metres to, to sink us, but um, fortunately didn't. And I think um, if we look at both Witty, our old player, and Hodge, who obviously left us a, a year or so ago as well, um, this game before it, you'd have said, oh, well, it would have been quite nice to have both those in the Falcons squad, but then obviously Witty didn't play too long so you got injured quite early on in the game. But I don't think either of them looked like we necessarily want them back in a hurry, which sounds a really bad thing to say. I don't mean it with any disrespect, but I think that we more than matched them with our alternatives that we have. Well, I mean, sometimes as a bit of a, a bit of fun, I like to go on to the opposition team's social media to see, you know, when they moan about losing to us. Um, and actually, I saw a couple of, of comments from Exeter's fans saying that they reckon some of the problems for this season is that they haven't really strengthened the squad and they're relying too much on sort of young players coming through, which I think for many years has, has worked well for them. They've always had a good sort of youth system and then they've usually recruited well. Um, I've been thinking of Exeter is it's not like Saracens where they have every position is sort of a world 15 potential player or whatever, but they've always had a team of either players who are generally absolutely maybe the top player in their position or the very least very, very good players. But the impression I'm getting on reading some of their comments was that that's just not happening at the moment. A lot of these players coming through, all the players that are available to them right now aren't at that standard. And that amongst other reasons, maybe just just generally they're not playing as well is kind of contributing to their poor start. But it's like you say in terms of Hodge, um, I mean, yes, he... He was, he was thought to have a very big feature in front of him and he may well still have that and I'm sure playing Brexit will help him. But would you have him starting for us? No, you wouldn't. I mean, again, Will Whitty has actually, to be fair, been in brilliant form this season, but you wouldn't. it wouldn't be a case of, oh, yes, no, absolutely, I'll take him in a heartbeat and put him straight in our starting team, which which just goes to show, really, um, just how sort of, in terms of individual player performances, how, how well many of our players have been doing so far this season. I think it's also worth mentioning that Josh Hodge would never let go as a winger, really. He was obviously, well, in my memory, he was a full-back or fly-half. And then they were playing with the other Simmons brother, Jay Simmons, at full-back, because Hogs on international duty, and they had Skinner playing at fly half, which seemed quite unusual to me. I don't know why they didn't have Simmons in his normal starting position, their first choice fly half. Then Josh Hodge at fullback, and then somebody else on the wing. It, it just seemed a bit of a strange way of having it to me, but um, it's the way it was. Um, if we 
move on to the other rugby of the weekend. I think we've got to talk about the England match and the bookending of England's tries by Radwan and Blamaya, which I think brought a smile to everybody's faces. Extremely good. And I don't think they've got enough credit for their performance in the national press. I think it's difficult to really get Blamaya's name in lights because he only played five or ten minutes. But once again, it's all he needs to score for England, five or ten minutes. I'm surprised he didn't get two or three in that amount of time. And then Radwan, three or four minutes on the clock, he bags his first try. And then for the next 70-odd minutes, he was rather innocuous, didn't get the ball much. And then for the last five or ten minutes, he got the ball in hand again and started making some huge inroads and blistering down the wing. Yeah, I mean, it obviously didn't take long for Radwan to get his try. I, mean, I think we were all, that was, in many, of course we wanted them to win and wanting them to win well and have a good performance. But of course we were, certainly initially we were hoping, you know, a ball goes to Radwan every second and he, you know, he's a star man. And, you know, he took his try well, whether he would get that against, you know, Australia, South Africa, possibly not. But, you know, he, the chance presented himself and he took it well. He showed the, you know, the good line, the power, the strength to, to get over. But, you know, and I think, well, you know, once once he scored that, I think, you know, I was probably sort of fist bumping like, yes, I think, you know, the rest of the game, you all sort of think, ah, it's fine, you know, what don't care what happens now. You know, Radwan's got his try, brilliant. Um, but you're right, it's sort it seemed to be um in England's play, they always went to the other wing, really, didn't they? And um, I think he had to track back and tackle a few times. But in terms of any sort of offensive play, he was almost sort of starved for the boring. I don't know if that was intentional or just sort of how, how the game was going. But yeah, you're right. He didn't really come back into it until, um, yeah, about the last 10, 5, 10 minutes, perhaps. And he, maybe even when Blumeyer went on, they did a couple of good link-ups as well, which was nice to see, and which almost put Blumeyer in. Yeah, I, I like to compare myself to Radwan because at various points in my rugby career, I played on the wing. And um, it's interesting how he is very much a right winger. You get a lot of wingers that play on either, but Radwan almost exclusively plays on the right wing. And that wing is traditionally the one at schoolboy level where you don't get the ball as much because people can't pass off their left hand, but they tend to be better in defence. And then when you look at the team during the week of it was going to be Farrell to Alangi, inside him and obviously Slade played extremely well but you just think well the wingers aren't going to get much ball are they and then we ended up with um, Farrell getting COVID which I think was actually in a bizarre way quite a good thing I don't mean it it's a good thing he's got a potentially lethal disease but it's a it's a good thing that Farrell was dropped and we played rugby and got Smith on midway through the second half and I think it showed that England can function quite well without him. And even so, we had still had two Lange inside, which means that anyone outside him never gets the ball. But I think it's interesting we talk about Farrell. I mean, yes, I mean, the circumstances which he didn't play was a bit sort of unusual or whatever. But uh, I think he, I don't know if you can call it a disappointment, but I would have liked to have seen more of the fringe or up-and-coming players play against Tonga. I mean, the likes of, you know, let's be selfish, Czech and Davison, playing against Tonga because I think if you are going to play these players and sort of get them used to the international stage or whatever then this is a game for it I know maybe he wanted to play his strongest team to get them in the river before they they played harder fixtures which I suppose I can see the reasoning behind that but um, I thought it would have been nicer to have seen some of the names actually featuring for England but Apart from that, uh, I thought in terms of their performance, I've, you know, they didn't have to do, they were very clinical. The scoreline would have been even higher if probably if they had Farrell on, potentially because of the kicking. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a solid performance and it's a good platform to build on going into, obviously, Australia and South Africa, which will prove a much sterner test. But 
you know, there's no reason why we can't be optimistic, I think, going into those games. Very much so. Um, and then Mr. Carreras also got on the score sheet for Argentina. It was a little bit too little too late, it has to be said. Um, it was the last five minutes and there were two tries down at that point. But um just means that Mr. Foos is the only one who didn't get on the score sheet, letting the side down. But I think we'll let him off given he's a second row and he only got on towards the end of the game. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, Good performances all round. Yeah, it's nice to have a sort of uh, autumn international period where lots of Falcons are off all over the place playing well. It makes a nice change and it's obviously a very good indication of, of the positive direction the club is going, I suppose. Certainly is. If we just go back to the club itself, next week we've got our um, Premiership Cup fixtures. I think that what we'll probably see is that the, the guys that played at the weekend will get rested and they'll be very much the, the academy and the second string reserves or whatever isn't played, which means there'll be a lot of new faces. Um, have you any idea what the start in 15 would look like or is it one of these ones where, like like every week in the Premiership, is probably easier to guess the lottery than guess the start in 15? I mean, potentially you can have a go at guessing, but I think we'll maybe see players like Stevens. Perhaps you know, I think it's been a little unfortunate not to maybe get more of it. I know competition's obviously very strong on the wing, but um not to get more of a looking so far. Um, you know, these sort of players like Dalton as well, who actually I thought were pretty good preseason. Um, but um I, I think what we to get a bit of an indication, perhaps we can look at the team that played against Melrose to an extent. Some of those names may well feature. Um, maybe a, a sort of a sprinkling of some of the more experienced days. So I think what we will see, what's probably easier to to guess, I say, is we'll, we'll see a lot of names rested. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if players like, you know, your Browns and Willipolas or even McGuigan, these type of players who've been playing week in, week out, get a bit of a, you know, get a couple of weeks rest, I think. Um, but it'd be interesting. I'm looking forward to it because I think we're quite optimistic because we have a, a good um, squad depth. I'm really looking forward to seeing some of these other players who haven't had much of a look in this season. I think they're actually quite good. Um, and I think we can have a real good go at this competition. But in terms of sort of what the team selection is, I mean, your guess is as good as mine, really. Yeah, something you just touched on there was that Milrose game. I know that it was quite a fun evening for those there. I think the bar might have sold quite a lot of beer and it was certainly for a very good cause. But um, I'm not necessarily sure the rugby on the park was of the the quality that some of the fans had hoped for, especially from the, the Falcons, um, ended up getting beaten in that game. Although, like you said, we were playing very much a, a reserve team. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in some ways, well, what a, a positive spin could be, the result wasn't really important. It was about sort of the, the event and the, the match itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to, to lose those games because I think we sh- even with a, a sort of an academy or reserve team, whatever you want to call it, out there, we should be we should be winning that type of game. But it was good game time, and if it puts them in good stead to maybe put in a good few minutes of the next couple of weeks, then 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 so be it. But I mean, I think the important thing, as, as you say, was sort of the the event and the money raised, really, for obviously what's a what is a, a really really good cause. Also, I think Hayden Wood was playing that game. He's one of the players that I've got my eye on for for the future. I can see him being the not necessarily the the next big thing, but I think he's certainly going to be one of these fly halves that will be on the on the circuit, hopefully in Falcons close for as long as possible, but he could just be one of these ones that goes around and we see him for the next uh, five or ten years. On the Premiership Cup, I know that they've now released the format of it and I think you've done a bit of studying and you're going to give us a brief explanation of how it all pieces together because I think for some people it might not necessarily be as straightforward as the uh, people that dreamt it up in the first place. So the Falcons actually on their websites have to put up a handy guide as to how the Premiership Rugby Cup works. Uh, looking at it 
it does make you wish for the days of the old Paragen Cup straight knockout. But this is a quick overview as to how it's going to work. So we're in pool two, which is, I suppose, a northern pool, if you can call it that, which includes obviously ourselves, Sale, Leicester and Wasps. Now, um, each team plays each other once. Um, in our case, we play Wasps at home, Sale away and then Leicester at home. However, there is also a cross-pool game where you play a team from another pool. In our case, this is Northampton away. So the way the reason for that is that every team plays two home games and two away games. Otherwise, obviously, it wouldn't work in a in a free in a in a fourteen pool. So the way that you get out of your pool is if you're top of the pool, then you qualify for the next round. Um, but because there are only three pools, uh, and to fill the last position, last knockout position, it's whoever is the best second place team. Um, the way the seeding works is obviously whoever has the most points in whatever pool is the top seed, and they will play, for example, the second place team, and then the other two teams will play each other, home or home or away, depending on how, how well they did. Um, so there's, there's no aggregate score or two legs. It's just simply the, the one game in the semi-final. The final is done on, in terms of whoever, who has the home advantage, is done on whoever the highest ranked team. And I believe... Um, that is in terms of league position. So let's say, let's be optimistic and say, for example, Falcons get to the final. So as things stand, let's say we play Bristol. So Falcons, as they're higher in the league and supposedly higher ranked than Bristol in that regard, will then get the home final. So that's how the system works. Uh, if you want to look at it a bit more detail, it is fairly well explained on the Falcons website as best as you can be. Um, in terms of the fixtures are down there as well. But I think in the immediate future, what you need to know is it is Wasps at home this coming Saturday and then it is a way to sail the, the next Friday. Um, so obviously there's 13 teams in the Premiership. One of the pools has five teams and the other two have four. So does that mean that the cross-pool match is only between two of the pools and then the five-team pool doesn't have a cross-pool? Pool match. Would that be the Southwest one? Or, or am I guessing? I believe so, yeah. So there is a Southwest pool, as you say, that does have five teams in it. So it's obviously Bath, Bristol, Exeter, Gloucester, and Worcester are also put in there as well. They're not classed as Midlands for this purpose. Um, so you're right, it is it, the cross the cross pool game is for exclusively for pool for pools two and three. Pool three, just for reference, is Harlequins, London Irish, Northampton, Saracens. So a London group with Northampton sort of stuck on there um yeah so so that's how it works uh, it works not the not the easiest competition in the world to sort of work out but that, that's what it is um and i guess all we need to know is if we win all our games we'll win the cup and that's that's the important thing yes that's always a always a good way of doing it i'm, I'm waiting for the competition where you can win all your games and not do it six nations got pretty close but then they throw in the uh grand slam extra points because they realized that you could have won all your games and not won the six nations when they introduced bonus points but they they introduced the, the the grand slam bonus. So um, yes, I'm still waiting for the competition where somebody does win all their games and doesn't win. It'll, it'll come come along at some point. Everyone suddenly starts scratching their heads, but it hasn't hasn't quite been dreamt up yet. Well, I suppose the the Premiership couldn't you can win every league game and then lose your win the semi final, then lose the final, couldn't you? I suppose. Well, yeah, Maybe. I guess then you've you've lost the final, though, haven't you? That's a but, that's um, a per- but um, I guess in in the or in, in one of the. The lower leagues, you could very easily win every game. And if you if you do a Falcons and never get a bonus point, then over the course of a season, then the team that lost to you twice needs to pick up nine bonus points and then they've gone past the eight points you got against them. Um, certainly doable. 
Um, anyway, we digress. We digress. Um, some of the rugby news that you may or may not care about. Um, I certainly didn't care for the content of the story, but I care about the content of the story. The proposed rugby 12s seems to have um, been dealt a final nail in the coffin. I think um, enough people high up in the game realized it was going to ruin the 15-a-side game that they've said, no, it's not going to go ahead. But I think technically the people that dreamt up still convinced it's going to happen. It might be like the, uh, the, the Super League and football where the people in Italy that said they were going to break away for a few weeks after everyone else said it wasn't going to happen, insisted it was going to happen. But it looks like the the Rugby 12s isn't, which I think is good news for everybody who's a fan of the 15-a-side game. Yeah, so I think the sort of death knell really was that um, it, it was, you're right, in terms of the fixture congestion, but also in terms of uh, CVC, who you, you may or may not know, a, a capital equity company which has you know, interests in the Premiership, also, uh, I think it's United Rugby Championship as well, and I think even the Six Nations now as well, um, because they're such, they have such a financial interest and they're obviously so influential in any decision-making for all those competitions, they were dead set against it. And if they're dead set against it, and they're the ones backing a lot of money for, for well, the professional game in, in general, then if they're not for it, then it's dead in the water. And to be honest, that appears to be kind of what's happened. I mean, we talked about, oh, does money talk in the sense of kind of getting it off the ground? and But actually, money talks in sort of burying it, really, doesn't it? Um, which is, you know, quite ironic. But I think that that's really kind of been the end of it, really, for now. And I think that those who are keen on it or those who are organising it have said that they don't wish to explore, well, their quote is, do not wish to explore the concept any further. And I suppose let's hope that, well, that's the case, really. Yeah. Um, if we just do a, a quick roundup of, the rugby results. So in the Premiership on Friday night, Leicester continued their 100% winning streak against Bath, who continued their 100% losing streak. Leicester winning 40 points to 23. Um, on Saturday, with the, the Lions share of the, the games, with Bristol beating Worcester 27 points to 5. Um, Saracens, London Irish ends up 34 points apiece. The scoring in that game was quite phenomenal. About 20 minutes in, London Irish got a player red carded for a high tackle. And then at one point, 20 minutes to go, Saracens were winning 34 points to eight. And then London Irish ran in, I think it was four tries in the end to equalise with the last kick of the game. The scores were 34 points apiece. So each of those walked away with a three points from that draw. So they each got four tries. Uh, Sale put 30 points to Northampton six. And obviously we beat Exeter. Um, on Sunday in the Premiership, Wasps lost 16 points to Harlequins, 26. And once again, a bonus point for Harlequins. It seems that the, the days of people kicking penalties are behind us. There seems to be bonus points with most matches now where teams score in the 20s because it seems to be, well, it's not fashionable to kick your goals anymore. Um, in international rugby, um, fair few on, on Saturday. Um, Ireland beat Japan 60 points to five. Italy lost 47 points to nine against New Zealand, with obviously our Mr. Uza playing. Um, England beat 69, Tonga 69 points to three, as we mentioned. Um, Wales, South Africa was a, a cracker. Wales getting beaten uh, 18 points to 23 against South Africa. And then France beat Argentina 29 points to 20. On Sunday, Scotland pipped Australia in what wasn't a pretty affair, and one that Roman Poit um, said cheerio to his international career. 
Um, I know a lot of people might not necessarily be saying see you again, with, or not see you again, but um, I don't think a lot of people are going to be too sorry to see the back of Roman Poirier. I'm certainly not. I wasn't his biggest fan, but um, one of these referees that's been around for a long time, and um, I think that for, for all he may not have necessarily been everyone's favourite. He has been a good servant to the game, so thank you, Mr. Poit. Then in the local scores, there weren't a huge number of games this weekend. It was one of these ones where a lot of leagues had their week off. Tyndale beat uh, Sheffield 24 points to 18. Nothing in Durham, Durham Northumberland Division 1s and 2s. Frodo beat West End 28 points to 21. And Seghill beat Jarovians 120 points to nil, which I think might have ruined Jaro's fireworks display. I think they're maybe focusing on getting their sparklers out after the game as opposed to playing rugby. Walls then beat Blythe 19 points to 16. And then in Durham and in Division 3 South, Yarn beat DMP and Elizabethans 38 points to 14. Um, one bit of rugby trivia that Ian's keen to share is the fact that he is now an international prop. Ian, do you want to recount your tale of uh, wonderful propping? Well, um, you know how to big me up, but uh, I, um, well, I, I played at the weekend and it was just sort of on our clubs, WhatsApp chat, whatever. Um, someone commented saying, oh, um, didn't Blamaya play for us a few years ago? And actually, I remember, well, once someone mentioned that, I remember thinking, oh, actually, yeah. Well, was it, I'm sure I was, I'm sure I played that game actually, and then um, they, they put a picture up. So, so just uh, which which team were you playing for at this point in time? Yeah, so I was playing for Northern. Um, I can't remember which team it was in Northern. Uh, probably well, probably the thirty, maybe second year. I can't remember, but yeah, it would have been about four about four years ago now. Uh, I believe he was playing for England, England in the seventeens at the time, and I don't know if he just came along. I don't think he played for the club regularly, but he sort of came along just for a game. I think he had other contacts in the club and. And yeah, and actually, I, I do remember now. Um, he, he did he did play that that game I was in, and at some point, I would have been there scrummaging down with uh, our England superstar. So there you go. It's a it's a very tenuous claim to fame, but you know, it's a, something you can sort of brag about and put at the end of the podcast, I suppose. Yeah, you should have got your shirt signed there and then. More fool you. Yeah, well, who, what, what do I know about picking out any good players? You know. <laughs> Yeah, so you wouldn't know a good player if it hit you in the face, I don't think. Anyway, I think that, that draws it to a close. Oh, no, it doesn't. We haven't done the, uh, the Premiership Roundup, so just bear with me a second. So, as we mentioned earlier, Leicester is still on top of the league, 8 out of 8, with 37 points, then 10 points behind Saracens and Harlequins, with 27, who've both only played seven games, it has to be said. Um, Exeter next, with 20 alongside Northampton, who've also got 20. Gloucester have 18, then... Falcons, Sale, London Irish all have 17, Wasps have 15, Bristol have 14, Worcester have 12, and Bath still haven't won a game and only have three bonus points. Um, We've mentioned it all season, bonus points are important. We've got one, London Irish have got seven. When we've won four games, London Irish have only won one. That kind of sums it all up as far as I'm concerned. Um, Although London Irish do have a habit of drawing matches, which... Bit bizarre, they've drawn three games so far this year. I think there's one season when Falcons drew the first three games of the year, but you don't often see a draw in rugby. So there we go. That brings me on this week's podcast. So thank you for listening, everybody, and speak to you again next week. Bye, everyone.